Thanks, guys. This is the body at work, eh? They can come and share what they're going through, and you can get around them and encourage them and pray. So um, as we just give a bit of time to do that, it's um, amazing. I've, I've met or spoken to um, the lady that he's referring to, Jan, a few times, and I got to speak to her during the week and um, just encouraged her faith and um, was able to share the gospel with her in a way that she probably um, could relate to, and it, it just encouraged her faith in Christ. So that's an amazing thing. And at the same time, uh, her son is um, going to King's Church over there in Wagga, and he's able to go, get around the family and encourage the family, and, and they're, they're just sort of seeing this un- unity that's coming through this um, this hard time and as they're getting together and praying together and just seeking God on what's he, what he's doing. So keep praying for these people. Um, and we'll get a little bit more info as we get more. We'll share that, obviously, and go forward from there. So thank the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, that um, we now as a body are able to just gather around you with an open heart to receive something from your word. Um, Lord, we thank you that in speaking to our minds, you're also speaking to our heart and we just open ourselves up to have soft hearts and sharp minds to be able to understand what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Awesome. Someone say awesome. Oh, that's good. All right, so we're doing a three-week. I've been doing what I started out saying as a three-week series on the book of Ephesians. Um, So we're going to try and get straight into it today uh, because of time. But remember, for the last two weeks, I've started off with this verse to keep us in check, to remind us what what we're doing this for. And it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, where Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved. Everyone say, For by grace I have been saved through my faith, and it's not of my own. It's the faith that Jesus has given you. Amen. He's given each and every one of us a measure of faith to believe in what he's doing. And he continues and he says, um, not, well, he, he says, this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Remember that first and foremost. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it's sort of a picture of what the book of Ephesians is. The first part of Ephesians outlines our salvation. It outlines who we are in Christ. It outlines what's going on. And the second part of Ephesians, the second half, uh, 4, 5, and 6, starts to talk from a practical sense. What are these good works that Jesus has prepared in advance for us to do? We've kind of been answering those things in, in, in a roundabout way. Does anyone remember the first week I looked at this whole sense that unity reveals our maturity? As we, as we come together and we're unified in the purpose of God, we grow in maturity. We grow in understanding. We grow in the purposes of what God has for us. Secondly, as we mature together, we begin to reveal the kingdom of God through certain things, through our walk. And last week we looked at walking out in the light of Christ, which actually is, um, in another way, what we can say is we can walk out in the life of Christ. That in the life that Christ has, we are to reflect here on earth. We are to walk out in the love of Christ and we are to walk out in the wisdom of Christ. All of these things God gives to us as a grace. 
okay? Light or life, love and wisdom so that we can live from that perspective and that point of view. And in sitting down and preparing this message, who, who actually really enjoys reading Ephesians chapter 6? Yeah, there's, there's one hand too. Look, look at that. All the closet readers are coming out now. They love Ephesians chapter 6. And, and I started to read through it again and, and I put some notes down to, to reflect for today as I started to prepare. And then I thought, I can't do this in one week. So I'm going to call myself a liar and say three weeks is now going to turn into four because this message is going to be broken into two. Is that all right? So, um, and, and it's more for the, the sense that you guys are sane by the time you leave or else I'll be speaking for an hour and a half and you don't want me to do that. So <clears throat> we're going to get straight into that. Let's turn everybody to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. And we're going to read four verses. And this will be the text for today. It says, finally... So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, verse 14 begins, stand therefore. And that's where I'm going to finish. So there's lots of things happening in this, in this passage of Scripture, hence why I'm going to just focus on this passage of Scripture and not look at the entire armor of God. We will leave that for a month's time when I'm back on um, because obviously we've got the kids service next week and then the week after Pastor Rodney and Jamie will be returning so they're going to bring a, a wrap up of what happened in Brazil and share an encouragement of the missions trip and then I'm on two weeks after that because Pastor Rodney will be sharing. So um, that means you've got a month to think about it, to pray about it, to to get into the Word and see what God's saying to you in light of all of that. But I want to ask you this question. Who is this said to? And I answered this question in the first week. I answered this question in the first week by saying that this book in its entirety is actually written to a church. or well, it's actually the church of the Ephesians. But this letter was meant to be shared amongst other churches within the region. Um, Paul says, share it with Laodicea. So it's, it's a letter written for the churches. So it's written first and foremost to churches. And then secondary to that, we can take it as an individual letter written individually and personally to us. Why do I say that? Because there are truths that are speaking individually to each of us as we read through it. There are promises in here that we need to hang on to as individuals and as church bodies that God has planted us into. So who, who is this written to? It's written to the church. It's written to the body. How can I say this passage is written in that way? Other versions, other than what I read out this morning, the King James, the New King James, um, the literal translation, I think the NIV, these Bibles all include this word in verse 10. It's, it includes the words brethren. Now, the one that I read out didn't say that. But 
we take from the word brethren that he's not talking to an individual, but in, in, talking collectively to a group of people. So we can deduce that Paul is writing this entire letter to this body united, but just this passage of Scripture, he's writing also to the entire body. Does that make sense? Yep. So we've got to remember that first and foremost, because we don't want to put ourselves in a position of saying something that the Bible's not quite saying. So we've got to first and foremost take it in the understanding that this is written to the church collectively first. All right? And like I said, there's truths here that transcend the individual. They go beyond the individual. They need to be understood in the light of we're being called together in unity in the purpose of the church. Amen? So Paul's writing to the church to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. All right? He's saying be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. So another question, what is the strength of his might? And what are we to be strong against? All right. I want to suggest a couple of things here. Firstly, I believe we're commanded to be strong against temptation. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, what does the devil actually come to do on a personal level in us? He comes to John 10, steal, kill, destroy. That's his ultimate purpose in the individual life. It's also his ultimate purpose in the life of the church as a, as a body within a community. And it's also his intended purpose on the entire church global. He wants to steal and kill and destroy the things of God in your life so that you can remain passive so that you can remain squashed, so that you can remain, um, I suppose, uh, hidden in the things that God has. He doesn't want you to understand that you were created for a purpose. He doesn't want you to understand that you are His workmanship. That The devil doesn't want you to understand that God loves you and He wants you to reveal that love to an entire world. So He comes to steal your joy, to take away the very truths of God's Word. How does he do that? He does that by tempting you. He does that by seeding things into your life where, where you think, oh, it's okay, I'll get away with this this time. So I'm, I'm saying first and foremost, foremost, we need to be strong against temptation. And that goes for a church body as well. We can be tempted to do all sorts of things as a body that are seemingly good. Like there's lots of good things we can be doing out there. But anything that is secondary to God's best is actually a temptation to sin. Because God has a specific call for a body of Christ. Do you believe that or not? Each church is, is a reflective portion of God's glory on it to reveal something. So therefore, anything that's outside of the, the call of God for the church, um, that the vision He's given to the church is actually a something that's distracting them from the main game of what they're called to do. Like I said, he does that by tempting, by sowing thoughts and, and words, and sometimes they're good things. Look at the story of Adam and Eve. That fruit would be good to eat. It would be not only tasteful, but it would be good for you to make you wise. 
Look at the temptations of Jesus. Gee, you must be hungry. Why don't you turn that stone into bread? It's all right. You've got the power to do that. Did Jesus have the power to do that and the authority that God gave him? Yes, he did. Was it going to be right for him to do that? No, it wasn't. See what I'm actually saying? Some things are actually good, but they're not the intended purpose what they need to be used for. So we need to be careful that we need to stand strong in the power of his might against temptation. Does that make sense? I'll put it in another words. Jesus in Luke chapter 3, uh, in the same words, but just expanding this story. In, in, in Luke chapter 3, Jesus uh, stands there before John and he says, you must baptize me. And John says, no, you need to baptize me. He says, no, no, we need to do this because it's all good. It's what God has wanted and laid out for me to do. So John baptizes him in water. What happens? All of heaven opens up. A dove descends upon Jesus, reflecting, uh, giving us a picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. And we hear the words come out. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Who would think that that's a euphoria moment? Who would think that's a really high moment for Jesus? It's just been declared by the voice of God audibly so that the world around him could hear how many followers were there. It says that all of, the, all of them came out to be baptized by John. So this was a massive following. And then Jesus is standing there with this dove on his shoulder. And God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. A very joyous moment. And we take joyous moments and we say, yes, I'm in the will of God. Was Jesus in the will of God? Yes. The very next verse says, And then the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit that just came upon him, led him out into the wilderness to be tempted. Yeah? So is Jesus in the will of God? Is that a euphoric moment? No, <laughs> it's not. It's a very down low, I'm crushed beyond my own physical strength because what did he do he fasted for 40 days could you imagine the torment on his body and his mind that he actually went through and then yet he's so down the devil comes and tempts him but yes it is euphoric because he's still in the center of God's will so we we take this whole thing of if things are going good in my life, I must be going well with God. If things are going bad in my life, I must be going bad with God. There must be some sin in my life. And that's like the person that come to Jesus and said, which one, which one of the parents sinned so that that man might be blind? Wrong question. That man was blind to reveal the glory of God. See, that's how we've got to see that not every situation that we're in is either good or bad but we're in Christ, which is always good. Whether we're going through bad things or good things, if we're in the center of God's will, then that's a good thing. And it's in that moment Jesus understood he was who he was called to be. He was in the Father's will. He, he remembered the words that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And that recalled to him the word of God that said, man shall not live by bread alone. And so that's how we got to fight temptation. But what happens, and this is my story, what happens is we, we and, oh, without going into too much detail, what happens is we get de depleted, we get down, we, we feel like we're ostracized, we feel like we're alone, and all of a sudden we're doing something because we think, well, why not? God's not here anyway. And, 
And that's my story, and I think it's the story of most of the people that get tempted and fall into temptation because, well, why not? God's not here looking after me anyway, so I need to look after myself. But that's second best, isn't it? So so we've got to be strong in what? Our own strength? No. In the strength of His might, which is a grace given to us. It is God given to us. Then secondly, I need some water, sorry. Secondly, that leads us into my second point. How do we do it? We don't do it in our own strength. The moment we step into our own strength is the moment that we're we're already defeated. It's actually a big thing to say, God, in my weakness, you are strong. That's a humble thing to say. It's a prideful thing to say, God, I'm weak, but I'm going to persist anyway. Hear the subtlety of that. In my weakness, you are strong. What are we doing there? We're submitting ourselves to God, first and foremost, and admitting our weakness. We're calling upon His grace to give us strength. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Does that make sense? So, It's a grace that's given to us, and it's actually by standing in the truths of the gospel that we're able to do this. The truth of that we are saved, not by our own efforts, but by what God did to us. A gift of grace given for us. When we stand on that, Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has made us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It would be wrong of me to say that that's talking about sin. It's not. It's talking about putting yourself under a system that allows sin to become number one in your life. It's about putting yourself under the law. Right? If we put ourselves back under the law, what happens is we become sin-focused and all of a sudden the devil gets a foothold in our life because he's then able to heap guilt and condemnation onto us. And by putting guilt and condemnation onto us, we start to feel sorry for ourselves. And then we tend to reach for the chocolate bar or whatever it is that makes us feel better about ourselves. But who knows that that's a pathway to destruction. So we're looking here at this whole sense that for freedom we have been set free. But yet... We are put back under something by our own admissions and fail, frailty. So whose strength do we stand in? We stand in the strength of His might. We need to get this one because the more we hang on to this, the more victory we'll get over these areas in our life that are causing us to stumble and feel like we need, um, that we're not reigning in this world. So the power of his might in relation to Jesus' victory over sin, that's what it is. It's the victory that Jesus has already won over sin, over death, over poverty, over disease, and anything that you can put into that category, which is called Calvary. By his stripes you were healed. Right, so you're getting my point right here. You know, uh, in his weakness. like We we know, it's Philippians that tells us that... um, He left behind the riches of heaven to come to the poverty of this world so that in his poverty, we might become rich, right? Now that has 
a manifold effect upon someone's life. That can be here in the natural, but it's also here in the spiritual. It can be your reality, but let me tell you, it's your ultimate reality in Christ. So we, we have these words, our victory, the power of his might comes into the relation of these things. It's the gospel. It's the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. It's what you reach out and receive by faith. Amen. It is the truth that you are saved by faith through grace, that no one can boast. This is our standing. This is our grace, our covering, our protection. It is being hidden in the fullness of Christ and in His glory. And let me tell you, this is what the armor of God is. All spiritual warfare waged today is victorious only on the basis of of appropriating the provision of the cross and Christ's blood. So if you're engaged in any form of spiritual warfare, and you know if we're Christians, we know we've got an enemy. He's an adversary. He's called the great Satan, which is meaning to us he's our enemy. He's the one that pulls us down. All of these things, if, if we're in Christ, then we're also involved in a war. You know, no one told me that when I signed up. Sort of like the Matrix, which pill do you want? The red pill or the blue pill? You, know, you take the red pill, you wake up and all will be fine. You take the blue pill and all of a sudden you're thrust out of the world that you know and you're into this battle that has been waging for eternity. That's the reality of what you're in. But you don't need to lose hope in that because it's in the strength of His might and the character of who he is, and what he says about you, and what he says about us collectively that we stand in. It's about being unified in the body of Christ as we walk out this. So all spiritual warfare needs to be waged on the victorious truth of the provisions of the cross and Christ's blood. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were made dead... Oh, sorry, blah, 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 blah. rewind. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross." So you want to know how to defeat the enemy that's coming against you? You point him to the cross. Because that's the very thing that declares his future. It's a done deal. It's signed, sealed, delivered, nailed to the cross. And guess what? That notice is being served as the church joins as one, is unified and is outworking the call of God on their life here in their city and beyond. Verse 11. It says, I'll scroll up. It says, finally, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. To stand against means to hold at bay aggressively. There's a good word for you. Aggressively or to stand in front of and oppose. So when it comes to our enemy, and who knows, our enemy is not against 
flesh and blood. Our enemy is against spiritual, power, spirit, spiritual powers, we'll say that. Um, who knows that if our enemy is like that, being aggressive toward us, we need to stand in the glory and the faith of God to aggressively oppose the very things that he's trying to do. So whoever told you the lie that Christianity was passive was actually wrong. If you're believing that Christianity is fine and is okay, then you obviously haven't engaged in that battle somewhere along the line. You obviously haven't had to pray for a, a young one or, a, or someone that's battling sickness in your life. Like when you start thinking about your children and that you've got to go to prayer because they're so sick, they look like they're going to die. And when you start battling, you realize you're in the battle, don't you? We all would do that. We would all pray for our children in an aggressive manner, knowing that we need to tell the devil to back off and command that child to be healed. But you see, this is actually what's going on in reality. You know, it's not Sunday morning, it's going to be aggressive because we've got to get to church in a hurry. It's actually every day of your life, the enemy's opposing you and we need to stand opposing him in who God's called us to be. So, so Christianity is not passive. Verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This outlines who our enemy is. Context. I just said we will battle for our children in prayer. Is that an individual statement? It is. What's the church statement? We will battle in prayer. We will wrestle with prayer, not only with us, but for our region. You see, the enemy doesn't just want to steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy all of God's creation. So we are actively in a battle as a body of Christ, as, as uh, soldiers who are called to arms with Jesus being our commanding officer. We're st- told to stand in rank, file in rank, and stand as the church calling out what God wants us to call out. This is engaging in the battle. And wrestling, this word in verse 12, it means one-to-one combat. So we see that there's not just a church call, but there's an individual call to wrestle as a body of Christ, wrestle as an individual saved in Jesus so that we can overcome this world. Verse 13 means stand after active battle. That that whole sense of verse 13 where it says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand... Stand therefore. This whole sense that we're making a stand, that we are prepared, that we are withstanding. That means he's making an assault and we as a church in what unity are making our stand, opposing him aggressively, not passively in this sense of Jesus. How did Jesus do this aggressively? And I already alluded to this. I'm not talking about we stand there ready to fight because that's not our fight. What I'm talking about is our fight is to pray against these things. Like Jesus did using the word to, to tear down the arguments of the devil. 
That's what we're called to do. That's why we need to get in our word. That's why we need to understand that all authority is Jesus. So when the devil comes up and says, you know what, guys, I'm just going to throw this in your face. This is my area. This is my town. And the darkness that's over this town is because of me. Well, we can say, well, hang on a minute, buddy. That cross says, if you read it, that Jesus paid for it, the victory is his. That their cross says, the devil, you got no right. And he says, I have all authority and therefore go. And in the authority that Jesus has given me, I'm going to stand against you because you've got no right to be here. So your darkness needs to flee because I'm bringing light into this town. Does that make sense? I'm bringing light. As I said last week, we are walking to bring what? Light. That is to bring the life of God into our current situation. Make sense? When light, where there is light, darkness must flee. All right, now you're starting to understand what I'm saying. And, and this whole sense of stand therefore is, is then going on from the next stand to the withstand to the let's be ready for the next battle. What's our next battle? Well, our first battle needs to be achieved, that which is understanding the kingdom of God relevant here and now in our region. Then we move to the next battle. Okay, God, where are you calling us next? All right, let's go and start setting up great places of prayer in this place and battling and warring to see the kingdom of God come here and now. I want to highlight three things in concluding. I didn't think it'd take me that long to get to this point. Anyway, I want to highlight these three things. First, our purpose is to stand united and together we tear down strongholds of the enemy. This is why the enemy is always attacking church unity and harmony. We need to be united on all fronts. We don't just need to be united on the love of God. You know, that's a great sentiment. Um, but someone who's needing to be told that they need to get out of whatever the bad choices that they're doing in their life need to actually have people around them showing the love and telling them this is not the best result for your life. This is not the best decisions for your life. That is love in action, okay? Because you're supporting them through it. You're not just pointing the finger at them and saying, you're a sinner. You're actually supporting them through it, helping them through it. We need to be united on every front. We need to be united in our battle through prayer. We need to be united in our, our battle to see our kids rise up knowing who God is, whether that be through kids' church, whether that be through bilbies, through our youth and our young adults. We need to be fighting and warring that they know God and that we be an example that they will know God through us. You see, it, it, it's not just that we're praying, it's that we're also living and outworking what we believe. The, the whole sense that um, church unity is the first thing that the devil attacks and which is why I spent so much time speaking about unity in the last couple of weeks is because if you're not unified, then he's going to find a way in. He's going to find a way in to break down your defenses. And he does that by working on the weak. 1 Peter 5 tells us that our devil is, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So you get this picture. The lion doesn't want to hunt in the pack like all the lionesses. They don't want to go for the, the one that they can go for and pull down as there's six or seven or eight of them. But the lion will just walk around. He's lazy. He's looking for the straggler. He's looking for the weak one. He's looking for the one that's just, you know, 10 yards back and the, the herd can't be around them. 
He's looking for the one that's thinking about not going to church this week. He's looking for the one that's thinking, well, you know what? No one even knew I was sick. No one even knew and came and prayed for me. No one even cared that I wasn't at church for the last month. You know, he's looking for that one because why? He's been seeding those thoughts into their life. And in doing so, he's been undermining their faith, making them weak. And all of a sudden, he doesn't have to extend any energy to take that one out. That's how the lion works. All right? Powerful as he is in, in the natural kingdom, as powerful as the lion is, and he could, he could own any of those lady lion, lionesses anytime, he doesn't choose to. He chooses to pick on the weak because he's lazy. So the devil's trying to disarm us by causing disharmony and disunity within the body. And we need to be vigilant. Where we hear someone saying something, we need to actually stamp that one out and say, no, I'm not propagating that gossip. That is not the truth. This is the truth. And devil, you can back off because we're not listening to your lies anymore. So that's what it is to be at unity and harmony in the body of Christ. It is our purpose to stand united. That's our first point. The second point, together we present a gospel that is not in word only, but one that reveals God by our love for each other. This is why the enemy tries to ostracize people. Like that lion I said, if you don't know you're loved, let me tell you this morning, we love you. You belong to a body that loves you, right? That's the truth. Anything other than that that you're hearing in your ears when you leave this place is a lie of the devil. And you need to call it for what it is. And you need to stand on the words of the gospel. And you need to understand that love covers not only a multitude of sin, but it conquers all. Because Jesus was sent because God so loved the world. And we're pointing to the cross today and saying that's what paid for it. Love paid the way for you to be here this morning. So he tries to ostracize us, make us feel alone, make us feel like we don't belong. And all of a sudden we drop out and we're no longer engaged in the battle and we become lazy. And then we wonder why we're even believing in God because he doesn't come through for us anyway. And that's such a wrong representation of who God is. We can't give the devil a foothold. Three, we need to realize our battle is not against flesh and blood. Even when a friend or a brother or sister in Christ says something to you out of pain, out of anger, out of hurt, out of whatever way it comes up, you have to be aware of what's behind it. You cannot take face value of what's being said to you as coming from the heart of that person. That person is in a moment of weakness and the best response that we have is to hear them, love them and pray with them so that they find healing in that moment because they have come to a place of saying, I've given up and I'm going to listen to the voice of the liar I'm going to listen to the voice of the one that's come to steal and I'm going to kill your passion for God at the same time because you've hurt me. You hear how it's like what he does? That's what he does. So you've got to understand it's not the person hurting you. It's the pain of the person that the devil's 
putting his finger on and making come out. And instead of reacting in bad ways, because two wrongs don't make a right, what we should actually do is act in a place of love and say, people, uh, you know, I, don't, I love you. I, I'm not listening to what you're saying about me right now because that's a lie of the devil. That's why we need to know who we are in Christ. We get our value, our esteem from what Jesus says about us and not what our neighbor says about us. Do you understand that? If you're finding your esteem from what the person next to you is saying about you, then it's not going to be long and you're going to start feeling alone. You're going to start feeling ostracized and you're going to be separated in a place that the devil's going to take you out. That's where it is. That's why our battle is so real. My last suggestion for you is this, and this is where I'll pick up in a month's time. I want to suggest that the picture of the armor is not individual pieces that we put on as individual members daily, like it be some script that we have to say over our lives that if we don't put our armor on, then the devil's going to attack us when we walk outside the door. There is a value in that as an individual and it teaches you who God is, but I don't think we ever need to perpetuate that until the, uh, after the point of memorizing and learning that. I don't think you need to, for the next 60 years of your life, say, I need to put on the helmet of salvation. I need to put it, because the truth is, when do you actually take it off? You never take it off. Why? Because you are always hidden in Christ. The picture of the armor is actually who you are in Christ. The picture of the armor is that you are safe in the shelter of the shadow of the Most High. That vision I got this morning of the person that needed to hear of the wings of God that are overshadowing you and you nestling into the bosom of God is the picture that you need to understand. That is the picture of who you are in Christ and that you are hidden in Him, complete in Him, and that He has paid a great price to declare that over your life. The pictures of the armor that Paul uses to describe these truths. What are they? Peace, salvation, faith, righteousness, the gospel. They are pictures to make us aware that these are the things we have in God. How can I say that? Ephesians chapter 1. Those of you who know me long enough and you start telling me some of the things you're going through, what do I do? I point you to Ephesians chapter 1 and I say, go and read it. You come back and you tell me your problems, I'm going to tell you the same thing again. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 1. Those of you who know me long enough, you're going to understand that's why, because it says in verse 3, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us. You're chosen. Look to the person next to you and say, God chose you. before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and without blame. Not that you have to live up to it, but guess what? When he looks at you hidden in Jesus Christ, you are holy and without blame. That's an amen moment, guys. Like That's the truth right there. Holy and without blame. Before him in love, having predestined us, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Is God's will perfect? Is God's love perfect? Is he a good, good father? And then he has adopted you as a good child into his good, good father, into his perfect will and to the goodness of his love. 
If you can start getting a hold of this, guess what, guys? You're starting to put on the armor of God. Make sense? Because you're putting yourself into Jesus. This is the truth I want you to take today. First and foremost, God puts us into a body. If God puts us into a body, He doesn't call us out other than to call us on. If He calls us on, it's to a different purpose, into a different body that He then plants us into. It is a body. Because if you're not planted into a body, then you're going to be weak. You are ostracized. You are separated. You are not in God in the sense of the perfect will that He has for you. He plants you into a body. So unity reveals that you have been planted and in that sense of being planted, you are growing in maturity. Does that make sense? Secondly, last week I spoke about the sense that you've been planted for a purpose and that is so that you can reveal the wonderful creation that God's created you to be as a body of Christ. Christ being the head. Ephesians 4 talks about we're a body. Christ is the head. We're like the arms and the feet and everything else that a body entails. And we don't do that on our own. One person can't be the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ that he is called and planted in the specific location that he's planted you into. So God wants you to understand that not only are you called to unity to reveal your maturity, but you're called to a place to walk out of that maturity and reveal Him through your love for one another, through the light that God puts in you into your community, repelling darkness, and through the wisdom that He gives you so that you can share the gospel with those around you. Whatever that may be, that might be in words and telling them about Jesus. That might be showing them the love by giving them a loaf of bread when they've got no food. That it could be in any way, but it's about revealing the heart of the Father. And then today, we stand in unity, not only being revealed, but we also advance in unity. Stand therefore. That's a, an offer for you to stand right now. Stand therefore in the glory of God, in the power of His might. Church, I want to ask you today, if you want to stand with me, I want you to stand. Because we're going to make a stand and a declaration this morning, believing not only has God called us to maturity, but He's called us to reflect who He is and why He sent Jesus Christ. And if you're not next to someone, I want you to come and stand next to someone and I want you to link arms with that person. Maybe you guys in the middle can come in and link arms with the people next to you. If it's too difficult, that's okay. Go and stand with someone and, and link arms with them. You girls and Micah, come over and link arms over here for me. Yep, come over into the middle, link arms. You guys link arms with Hannah. You guys come into the middle, link arms with each other. In a month's time, I'm going to show you the purpose of this. But I want to do it today. <laughs> it's funny. So good. So good. Ephesians is such a powerful book because it shows us the victory we have and it empowers us to lead from that. It was written to a church that wasn't full of sin. Paul didn't write it to address any particular error. He wrote it to a body that was prepared and ready to go out and reveal Jesus. And I'm declaring today that this is a body that is prepared to show the love of Jesus within its community. And you are standing linking arms right now 
one-to-one in the battle with God, with God. You see, the, the battle is the Lord's, but he calls us to be a partaker in it. He calls our mouths to pray through the issues that we need to pray through. And he calls us into unity to stand beside one another so that if someone is injured, they can get around and help that person and protect that person. If someone's advancing in battle, well, then the others are just pulled along and they're battling with that person and helping and cheering on. The picture of the body being unified and revealing the maturity of God, revealing the kingdom of God is such an amazing thing. I want you to grasp it today. Bow your heads for me. Father, we thank you that this is a church that is maybe small in number, but Lord God is big in heart because we carry the heart of the King. We carry a love for our community that you have birthed in us, that you have planted, that you have seeded there. This love, Lord God, goes beyond ourselves and reflects the glory of your kingdom. And we know today we stand not in our own power or in our own hype or in our own authority, but we stand in the authority, the love and the grace that Jesus has placed in us. So we declare today to the heavenly realms that where the enemy seems like he has control, we declare that we've put you on notice in the name of Jesus. This place will be known for a light This place will be known as the love of God. And as we go, we go unified in prayer. We go knowing that we are not alone. We go knowing that we can call anyone at any moment and say, hey, I'm feeling a little bit down. Will you pray with me? We go knowing that the enemy has no foothold and that he cannot break through the defenses that you have put in place. We go knowing and declaring that Griffith belongs to God and the glory of his kingdom and we are going to reveal it and we stand in battle with you, God. Lord, you are the head. We are the body. And we want to perpetuate your kingdom here on earth. Let us be the hands and the feet of God and the mouthpiece of God. Let us embrace those who need embracing. Let us share the gospel of peace with those who need the gospel. And let us speak, Lord God, as we carry your word, as we carry your light, as we carry your love, and as we carry your grace into this community. Let it go forth with power that the enemy cannot resist because where there is light, the darkness must flee. In Jesus' name and his body said, Amen. God bless you all.